Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hello again, listeners. It's Esther Gallagher here at the Fourth Trimester Podcast. Sarah won't be joining us today, but we have Janae Hopgood-Jones, who's going to uh, tell us all about her work. But before I have her introduce herself, I just want to remind everybody that um, not only can you subscribe to this podcast, but we also have a Facebook page and we have a website for trimesterpodcast.com, which is just loaded with great stuff. So um, give yourself the chance to see what's going on on both those platforms as well. And now um, I'd like to have Janae introduce herself. Janae, it's so lovely of you to make time for our podcast. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. So hello, listeners. Uh, My name is Janae Hopka-Jones, and I do a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) But um, one of the main things that that we're talking about today is the blog that I have. Uh, So I'm a blogger, and I have a blog that is in... Um, publication now for people who have experienced perinatal loss. Um, it's specifically targeted to black and brown people who have experienced perinatal loss. So it's called blackangelmom.com. I also have a support group that's virtual uh, on in the Facebook community that exists for black and brown folks as well who have experienced perinatal loss. And um, I'm an angel parent. So I am the angel mom, a mom to two angel babies, uh, Viva and Jora who were born June 7th, 2017. Um, they passed away, obviously, and they kind of inspired me to do the work that I'm doing in this respect. Um, I'm also a therapist. Uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist, couple and family therapist, and I'm also a clinical sexologist. So I study human sexuality um, and I work with a variety of people around all issues related to that. Um, and of, of course, I also do some perinatal mental health work uh, for people who are pregnant. That's just phenomenal, Janae. <laughs> just phenomenal. Um, so amazing. Do you want to um, talk about what brought you to doing the blog work specifically? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I had a pretty interesting journey with trying to conceive. Um, my spouse and I, it took us uh, a good while, probably see, I would say about two, three, maybe even four years of, of trying to conceive. And we eventually conceived our daughters <clears throat> via uh, in vitro fertilization. And unfortunately, at close to 17 weeks, um, one of my daughter's uh, sacs ruptured um, and they could not 
because of how the shifting happened in my uterus, they could not, I couldn't birth her and save my other daughter because of the way that they were positioned. So basically I had to give birth to both of them, um, at the hospital. And that was really a challenging experience to say the least. Um, it really affected my life in a way that is, has been really profound and really, excuse me, really challenging. So I, I've always been, um, when I was in, in undergrad, I actually was an English and psychology major. So I had always felt like I wanted to do some writing and do some writing as it relates to mental health in some capacity. I just wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. So <clears throat> writing has always been a thing that I've done to kind of process and um, cope and just kind of sort through my thoughts and get things out of my brain and onto paper so that I can externalize them a little bit better. And <clears throat> So I just started writing. Um, so they were born June 7th and, um, pretty much since I got discharged from the hospital, I just would, I would just write and I said, okay, what do I, how can I, how can I honor the girls? Um, it was really important to me that my experience with them and, and their, their life force and how powerful that was for me <clears throat> and for the people in our lives. It was really important to me that, that, that energy didn't just go out and, and dissipate. So I really wanted to do something that honored them um, in a way that felt appropriate. So I had been kind of toying around with the idea of doing a blog before I got pregnant. Um, but I dragged, I was dragging my feet a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> I had a lot of other stuff going on. But mm-hmm. as I started writing, it just, um, I just started coming up with all these different entries so mm-hmm. I, I had like a ton of content um, over like the first month or so after they passed. And I, um, I said, okay, I think, I think I'm going to do a blog. <laughs> so I went on to the, you know, the, the um, platform and, um, <clears throat> and I started uh, creating a draft site and, and it took me a while though to press like publish. I just was like, <laughs> I don't, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to put all my business out here. I don't know if this is what I want to do. And you know, with my profession as well, I wanted to be mindful that I wasn't just kind of spilling trauma all over the place, but, um, you know, but kept it in a way that was, that would still be helpful for other people, but would also be helpful for me to, to kind of support me on this healing journey mm-hmm. so I talked with my spouse about it I let my spouse read some of this stuff and I was like are you okay with me posting this you know and mm-hmm. um and yeah I got the the green light and everyone was supportive and I pressed publish and it's been in existence since um I think I officially published in August maybe um mm-hmm. of, of 2017 um, so they, yeah, it was maybe within like two, two months or so after they passed that I finally published the blog. And I really just, um, it's, it's fluctuated a little bit in terms of the frequency of posting. So initially I was posting, um, two entries every week in honor of both of the girls. Um, but that's a lot. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. Yes. So things had to slow down a little bit, but I tend to post, um, every Wednesday because they were born on a Wednesday. So I tend to post a new entry every Wednesday for, um, for the readers. And it has definitely grown. There's, I I believe there's like 800 or something followers that are, um, that show up when I look at the, the, 
uh, statistics. Um, That's phenomenal. Yeah. Mm. So it just, it really was inspired by them and by this journey and by the, um, what I felt was a lack of representation of black and brown people, uh, specifically of black people, uh, just be clear about that, um, of black Mm. people talking about this type of experience. Like I felt, I wasn't aware of how common like miscarriage or perinatal loss was until it happened to me. And I think that we all to a degree are aware of the possibility, right? That people miscarry. We are, we're aware of that we know that, that happens, but I don't think that people are very much aware of the probability, like how likely is it to occur? And, um, that was just astounding to me that there were so many people who kind of came out of the woodworks and said, Oh, this is, this has happened to me. This has happened to me. This has happened to me. And, um, but yet when I was in support group communities or whatever, it still felt like I was the only one. Um, so I wanted to create a space that really centered, um, obviously my healing journey, but also centered black and brown folks in the, um, in the artwork and in the graphics that I use and in the, um, the nomenclature and the colloquialisms and things like that, that we, that I use in the content that felt very authentic to black culture. I wanted to make sure that there was a space for that. And then from that, um, things just kind of evolved with the, the Facebook group, um, which has also grown now to over a hundred members, I believe, um, and started out with about 10 people. Um, and that's a closed community that is called Black Angel Moms as well, that is specifically for Black women who are Black people who have experienced perinatal loss. Mm, gosh, <laughs> such a um, supportive approach. You know, t- um, these days, just finding each other when, yeah. whenever there's something that we're experiencing that we can't possibly be alone in we're human beings right right? Right. and Mm -hmm. so these things are existential and yet um in this broader culture i you know i say it again and again it's we get lost Mm -hmm. you know so when someone like you can have the wherewithal to create the space for themselves and then share it. Yeah. You know, that is just such a, an amazing creative thing to do with our loss, which, and, you know, I think I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think loss of any kind feels like such a empty well, yeah. Right. That you're down in the bottom of and you can't feel the sides of yep. when you're in it. Yep. So to reach out and feel for the edges and the yep. sides and the contain the container mm-hmm. and find a way to create. Yeah. Is just phenomenal. I just oh, I appreciate um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you do you there are two things I'm personally curious about and I imagine our um, listeners would be and of course I I want to interject here that I hope everyone will go and visit your mm-hmm. your site um, but 
Can you talk a little bit about your experience? And I know this is going to sound clinical, but I I think for the listeners, we can all be, um, it's good to be in a place of understanding from the experiential of like, you're, you're, and I hate to use this term, but I, I think it's the unimportant one, kind of your clinical journey, mm-hmm. because, you know, we're, we are all slowly, slowly, way too slowly being made aware of how the treatment of black women specifically uh, in the clinical setting is mm-hmm. have it ha- has historically has current, yes present yeah, sense. <laughs> and is currently mm-hmm. having such uh a, a just a um, i the word uncivilized comes to mind mm-hmm. you know but I, i'll let you talk about that but also maybe more also about um what what you've already tapped tapped into and touched on, which is the creative journey. So there, you know, those two um, aspects of your personal journey, as much as you want, and not at all, if you don't want to, of course. Oh, no, I'm totally fine. I'm totally fine (laughs) to talk about this. Um, Okay, so clinically, as in like medically and medical treatment that I or experiences that I've had in, in those communities. So Mm-hmm. And I would say my, um, so my, my journey to get pregnant was, um, it was trying obviously because it, it took a while and, and we didn't get to the, the IVF portion until the very end of our journey. We did, um, IUI intrauterine insemination first, um, mm-hmm. for a few times and, um, that was unsuccessful, but the, the physician care, um, with the fertility clinic that we were working with was actually really, really great. Um, we didn't have, um, they just seemed really supportive. They seemed very invested in our, in our care and in our success. And, um, and I felt really comfortable with them. So that part of it was fine. Um, what I will say is that the, when I switched, when we had to leave the fertility clinic, because the fertility uh, specialist, the endocrinologist, they're not, um, they're not practicing OBGYNs, right? So I had right. to switch over to an actual OBGYN. And um, it was an, uh, I mean, it was an all women ran, uh, clinic. So I was like, okay, great. Like this is, this is good. This is exactly what I want. Um, and they had a couple of black physicians. So I was like, great. This is exactly, you know, what I'm looking for. And, um, however, I, I gotta say that was not, um, that was not the most helpful experience. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and with the, with the girls, when, when I was pregnant with the girls, there was a, there was a period of about a week before they were born when I did notice leaking. And I, I called the doctor's office more than once to ask, like, because that was my first time, you know, being pregnant and it was my first time, um, experiencing any of that. So I had asked a couple of people that I knew like, Hey, you know, I mean, 
well, this is the fourth trimester podcast, so I can be transparent. I'm, oh, I'm assuming, please. but you know, be I would graphic. Ask, yeah, I would ask, yeah. you know, people I know, I'm like, hey, this is coming out of my vagina. Like, what, you know, <laughs> what mm-hmm. do you, does, has this happened to you? Like, what do you think people who had children or had, who had had children recently? Um, and, uh, most people were like, oh, lots of crazy things come out of your vagina. You know, don't worry about it. As long as you're not having any cramping or any bleeding or whatever, then you should be okay. Um, and I said, okay, mm-hmm. you know, kind of still made me feel a little, a little strange, um, because I was just like, I don't, like, it seems it, it would happen at times that felt like it shouldn't happen or, mm-hmm. or if I was doing like strenuous activity, like if I was, I used to teach a dance class. So mm-hmm. when I was dancing or when I went on a walk, when on like a lunch break at work, I had like a, a, um, a significant, I feel like, amount of fluid that came out. And I was like, yeah. what is happening? And mm-hmm. I even asked the person I know who who is a um, a midwife. And she said, um, she said, well, it sounds like a little bit of your mucus plug might have come out, but it grows back. So it's not really that big a deal or whatever. So because she's in the profession, I was like, okay, I feel a little bit better because I talked to her, but I'm still going to call my doctor because she's not my treating. This person is not my treating physician. Right. So I called the doctor's office. Um, and both times that I called, they kind of dismissed me and told me, Oh, it sounds like the babies are getting bigger now. It sounds like you're probably just peeing. And I said, this does not smell or look like pee. Like I, you know, I'm, it smells like my vagina. Like I know like it doesn't, it smells like it's coming from inside. It doesn't smell like it's like urine, you know? Um, and yeah, you know, and it wasn't consistent. It didn't happen like every couple of minutes. It didn't, you know, it it wasn't like just flowing out, but it did happen enough that, that I had ruined a couple of pants or I was out and it looked like I peed on myself, you know? So Mm -hmm. just a dismissal happened a couple of times. And then I went in on June 6th for, an appointment with the, um, with the antenatal testing unit because I was 34 at the time. So they were doing all of the testing for trisomies and, um, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, um, I was supposed to have an ultrasound that day, but for whatever reason, they didn't have me on the schedule to have an ultrasound. So I had to argue with them to get an ultrasound because I, I was concerned that I had been kind of leaking for like two weeks and nobody mm-hmm. or like a week and a half and no one had said anything to like no one told me to come in right like that was the thing that in hindsight i'm just like how yeah. if i if this is happening if your patient is calling you and saying that this is happening how would you not say come in exactly i'm not saying that that yeah. could have made a difference necessarily because what i've learned since is that sometimes when there is a rupture like that like you can't there's nothing that can be done anyway but it would have been helpful to feel held and supported in that way instead of like dismissed as though I didn't know what I was talking about. Exactly right. And that's, it's the attitudinal stance, right? In retrospect, it's like, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm experiencing and you're saying, oh, don't worry. Exactly. And nobody feels better when they get that treatment. Right. Right. It's just not, I mean, of course, everyone wants to reassure you and hopes for the best, but the dismissal part is, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally, that's just not. Yeah. It was really not okay. And the not only okay. reason that I had, that I 
I kind of waited was because when I called them, I believe it was like June 1st or something. So I said, Mm -hmm. or the last time I called them, it was like June 1st and I had the appointment on June 6th. So I said, okay, I'm just going to, when I go to my appointment, I'm for sure having an ultrasound, like I'll, they'll check everything out and, you know, and it should be fine. So we get there, we have the appointment. I have to argue with the people to do an ultrasound because they didn't have it on the schedule. They were just going to do blood work and blah, blah, blah. And, um, of course they do the ultrasound and the, the physician, cause it wasn't, it wasn't an ultrasound tech. It was actually a, a doctor who did the ultrasound. Um, he, he like, he looked at the, the imagery and he was like, Oh, your cervix is a little open. And then he's like, Oh, this, this baby, baby, um, it, he had her listed as baby B at the time, but actually she was baby A was, uh, at first, but she moved when her sac ruptured. Um, mm. she, he was like, Oh, she doesn't, this baby doesn't have, enough fluid around her and and just like seeing the image you could tell that jora is that baby who who sack ruptured you could tell that her mm-hmm. she i mean she didn't look like she was in distress but she definitely was she wasn't in the fetal position like she was almost stretched out yes and mm-hmm. um yeah and so and there was very little fluid around her so then he turns the screen and he leaves the room and and then my spouse goes out and we had invited my mom in because my mom hadn't seen any of the ultrasound, like not live, um, since I had been pregnant. So we thought it was going to be a whole experience. And just that whole, that whole process was just obviously very traumatic and also infuriating because I was like, I called, (laughs) I called twice because I thought that something was wrong and something was wrong and you all dismissed me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was just, I was like livid and of course distraught and, um, and really Mm -hmm. emotional and, just trying to figure out whether there was anything that we could do um, to save both or at least one of them um, because yeah. Aviva Sack, um, who was originally baby B, but ended up being baby A because she was the one right up against my cervix. Her sack was totally fine and she was intact and she was moving and heart rate was fine. Both of their heart rates were fine, actually. Um, but in order for them to even get to Jura, they probably would have ruptured Aviva Sack. Um, Mm. so that's why I ended up having to give birth to both of them. Um, (sighs) yeah. And the, the midwife who was at the hospital, um, she just was, she was not, (laughs) she was not helpful. Um, she was very, um, I'm going to use the word abrasive. Like, I feel like she was really kind of like, well, you could, you could stay here if you want to, but you could also just go home and let it start happening at home. And I was like, excuse me. Like, I'm totally not going to go home and like lose these babies in my house and like have to have them at home with no medical attention or or what, like that just, Mm -hmm. that was like an absurd suggestion in my opinion at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Um, But she, it felt, I don't know if that's how she felt she needed to be, but it felt very abrasive and insensitive and, um, and just like not okay. So we ended up refusing and well, we stayed. Sure, but it's it's all in the attitudinal stance, mm-hmm. isn't it? Like imagine her coming to her and saying, What would help you feel the most right. supported and held in this moment? That right. we understand is difficult for you. That's you know, that's yeah. such a different thing to come to absolutely a, a family mm-hmm. with than uh you know you can go home if you want right, right? like ah 
Right. That's not, right. oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It totally would have had a, given me a whole and, different feeling if she had come at that yeah. a different way. Yeah. Whatever your choice, your personal, mm-hmm. what, right? Like whatever your personal preference. Right. You know, you would have been in a place where you could have maybe asked the question, is it okay, do you think, for me to go home? Right. Is it okay if I just stay here? It Mm -hmm. feels right for me. Right. Instead of like, wow, you know, whatever. Right. Oh, dear. Yeah. That was just terrible. Um, Thankfully, the, the, the birthing experience was, was good. The, my, um, my actual physician, I guess her shift was over or whatever, but a midwife, not the same one, um, birthed, mm-hmm. birthed our girls or helped, um, catch our girls. And that was, that was a really beautiful experience. She, her and her team, they were, they were amazing. Um, mm-hmm. but the whole process prior to was, um, was really traumatic and really, really not supportive, not helpful. And, um, like you said, the, the whole attitudinal stance was just, um, I don't know. It just didn't, it, it just didn't feel sensitive and like a safe holding space. Um, given the gravity of what was happening and maybe, you know, mm-hmm. this is their job, right? So like maybe they come across this multiple times a day or every day or whatever. So i I'm not delusional in thinking that they need to have all the sensitivity as though this is a a one-time thing. However, Mm -hmm. I think there's a way for, for that to be handled that I don't feel like it was handled with me. Mm -hmm. Um, No. Well, I can think of so many points of intervention, you know, the Mm -hmm. doctor turning the screen and leaving Mm -hmm. you alone in the room Mm -hmm. Right. While that might have been something you would have chosen. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And while he may have, it may have been necessary for him to leave the room. Right. um, Offering you some form of support in that moment. (laughs) You know, I can imagine I'm a doula. I can imagine at least two things. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I'm going to have to leave the room to do this, this, and this on your behalf. And I'm wondering, would you like me to have the midwife come in or, you know, whatever, or would you, or would you prefer to have some time to yourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and just call us when you're ready for us to come back in, right? Right. Any number of things, Mm -hmm. but certainly those things in that terrible moment to acknowledge, right? Just to acknowledge you're in a terrible place and no parent wants to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to just walk out of the room. Right. (laughs) You know, leaving you in a place that um, is unsupported if I can do otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And on and on and on, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Wow. Yeah. So that was a, a challenging experience. The, the saving grace really was that the their birth, though hard, you know, because pain and, and whatnot. And of course, them eventually passing, they were born alive. Um, so it was nice to actually see them moving and, you know, mm-hmm. to hold them and, and things like that. Um, their, that experience, their actual birth was 
it was sad, but it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other stuff was not helpful <laughs> um, mm-hmm. at all, but, but that part of it was, was beautiful. Um, and the, I would even say that the care after, so I was able to, they were born at, at 9.04 and 9.23 PM. So I was able to, we were able to keep them in the room with us until I was discharged the following day. So they were with us and, and basically the transition was just to the funeral director. Like that mm-hmm. was when I had to um, leave them, which was terrible. But, um, mm-hmm. but every, everyone who came into the room the following day was very, um, was very kind. And the hospital had did a really great job with, um, with the photos that they took um, right after the girls were born and the whole memory box things that, that they gave us. And um, mm-hmm. that was all, that was all great um, and, mm-hmm. and really invaluable um, given what had happened. Um, and it, it almost helped for a while for me to, to forget a little about the, the stuff that happened before. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, yeah. Janae, this is another clinical question. And I, I ask it with no intention of being insensitive, but did they, actually induce your labor or did you find yourself in labor um just as as this was all coming uh coming about they induced my labor so Mm -hmm. i i was when on the sixth when they did the ultrasound the the doctor did say that my cervix was open to i think about Mm -hmm. two centimeters Mm-hmm. So that I guess had obviously had already started to happen. I didn't experience any cramping or pain or anything that I can remember prior mm-hmm. to, um, but they induced me with, um, I forget if it was misoprostol or side attack, but they mm-hmm. induced with, um, with like six of those pills, which was yeah. terrible. That's yeah. It's their misoprostol is side attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not, um, yeah, I mean, the whole situation is sad and yeah, of, of course, but, um, yeah, boy, oh boy. Um, yeah, it was not well, a great experience at all. No. <clears throat> um, I'm wondering if, and I, you know, I imagine your block may speak to this. I'm wondering if there's anything that you take away from this experience that you would especially want parents of color in the clinical setting to know or understand or be empowered with. If there's anything that's important for you to kind of send out into the world about situations like this. I mean, one of the obvious things in my feeling is really just that you're, you're not alone in this. So like use your, your community or find community, um, mm. for support, um, because it, this, you know, they call it the silent sadness for a reason, right? Like we don't, people don't have conversations about loss and, and about this type of loss in particular. Um, but not having conversations about it does not make the sadness and the effects go away. So, um, just, not staying silent around it and not staying and, and trying to um, like just the, the whole idea of like, like strong black woman 
concept mm-hmm. of like <laughs> I need to be able to handle all of this and not be affected mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. BS, right? Like you can handle these things and in the same breath, you can also be affected by them, right? Mm-hmm. So like just recognizing that it's not, it doesn't mean anything about your level of strength if you're affected by something that happens to you, mm-hmm. especially something so significant as perinatal loss. So there's that part of it. The other part of it in terms of um, interacting with the medical community is really just to use your voice. You know, I think that I think that that birth in general or any kind of um, thing around pregnancy just kind of it makes anyone who's experiencing it nervous because so much stuff is happening to your body. And, in mm-hmm. you know, there's a life inside you and things like that. So you're you're going to be a little bit nervous and you might not always be clear enough in your brain to think of all the questions to ask and all the things to to do and advocate for and whatever, because you're dealing with a lot of other stuff. Having said that, I think it is really important to write things down, take a support person with you if you can, and to mm-hmm. use use your voice, like advocate for yourself and advocate for your care. You know, I'm, you know, there's things that I had to work through in in my own from my own healing around like should I have like insisted that I come to the doctor you know but mm-hmm. you have to be careful about getting yourself you know caught up in a, a guilt spiral but right um, I mean self-blame when right. you did what you could is not gonna exactly it's, that doesn't yeah. help <laughs> no it's <laughs> it sadly it worse and inappropriately placed exactly because you did speak to it you exactly. did I did call. I called more Mm -hmm. than once. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, making sure that you just use use your voice, your voice is important, your voice is valid. And I know that, you know, black people have a um, a challenging history with the medical profession for very valid reasons. Um, And it, it doesn't always feel like a safe space. Uh, for black people, specifically for black women or uh, black people with a uterus and, and uh, vagina, like it doesn't always feel like a safe space, you know, given our history, the history of gynecology. Right. So mm. um, I I think that. But it is important for you to recognize that, A, this it's not the same times as it was before. And it's in, you are valid. You you have a voice. What you have to say is important and people need to hear you. So if you feel like something is up or something is going on, then you insist that you be seen mm-hmm. or you find physicians, you find practices, you find um, groups, whatever, that have a, um, a very supportive um, perinatal community. So when that was one of the things when we thought about trying again, we were really intentional about like, I'm not going back to that same OB office. I need a space that has a very great supportive care network for people who are pregnant and that they have like a hotline or something. And they have, you know, an emergency visit place where you can come in and get an ultrasound if you need to. Like that was really important to me just to be proactive for future tries of getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, So thinking about what it is that you need, what type of support you need to to have being clear about that in your communication with any subsequent physicians that you work with. Like here was my experience before and here's that was not helpful. And this is what I would like or need or what I'm looking for. So just to advocate for yourself and and Mm -hmm. use your voice, I think is really, um, it's just really invaluable. Well, and I want to make this comment, you know, um, while, 
the feminist women's health movement of America was uh, not perhaps always as, as inclusive as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's the reason why anything has ever shifted in the obstetrical realm and it's, and it's, and it's been slow. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, and while I think it's just hideously unfair that the, and I'll use a strong term, the victims are the ones who have to be out there doing the advocacy work, right? Like that's just so wrong. Right. Right. This medicine in America is a culture and it's Mm -hmm. deeply entrenched in its ways of doing things. And you know, as unfortunate and, and inappropriate as it is, it's you, right, who has to be the one to stand up and say, you do this wrong mm-hmm. and it has terrible effects yeah. and it needs to change. You need to change, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's how we get these cultures to change. Yeah, And it won't, you know... It's terrible that it might not be, very likely won't be in our lifetimes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Unfortunately. I've, I've been working on this shit, excuse my French, for, <laughs> you know, four decades mm-hmm. uh, in my own tiny little way. Not this specifically, but the whole realm of perinatal yeah. care, mm-hmm. right, has been my focus, as it were. And... You know, as I've said on the podcast before, 40 years ago, I thought by the time my daughter was ready to give birth, Mm -hmm. it would be a very different landscape. And it is not. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not, you know, I mean, that's not a reason to give up hope. Um, And the things that have changed have been wonderful things we're starting to see midwives and and more and more and more you know people of color who are offering them the the obstetric care yes to such i mean it is a blessing Mm -hmm. um it's it it feels right to me to be able to walk into a clinic and not just be uh be sort of presented with older white males, because I don't, I don't feel safe in that environment. Right. I need an environment that is diverse to feel safe and supported. So, you know, it's slow. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and good for you, Janae. I mean, this is a powerful step. You know, I, I wish you weren't burdened with it. Yeah, you know, you and I, me both. I, yes, you know, it's it's um, yeah, but um, but that's one of the reasons that that the blog is out there as well. You know, it's like there, yes, there there are some things in it that kind of detail my experience or the challenges that I that I face, and there's also um, a whole section that I that I have called like seven gems, and then it's like you're welcome, mm-hmm. you know, just and it gives you. 
you know, seven, usually seven things about any given topic, but it's usually related to perinatal mental health or perinatal loss or something that like things for you to use very practical steps for you to take for yourself, for, to give to your support system, to, to plan for a future visit to the doctor. Like I have one on there that is specifically about what, here's some suggestions for you to Mm -hmm. do moving forward after you've had a loss. And when you're, if you're trying to conceive again and like what, here's some things for you to think about and to be planful about. Um, And that whole section of the blog is specifically for very practical, like here's some things, you know, here's Mm -hmm. some things you can put in your toolbox and that you can take with you or that you can give, like I said, to, to your family and friends, to your support network, um, to say like, Hey, I don't necessarily have the words to, to talk about this, but this makes sense to me. And this is something I think that you should read as a way for Mm -hmm. you to be a little bit more supportive to me or a way for you to, that I would feel supported or helped by you. Um, so I wanted to create those things for people that would just be easy one-offs, um, Mm -hmm. so that you just don't, sometimes you just don't have the bandwidth to, to have some of the conversations when you're in grief and when you're dealing with stuff. So I wanted to create um, things for you to use that are very easily accessible and readable and fun and funny in some ways. And, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Well, and the idea that these are things that you can share into your community Mm -hmm. to empower them, to empower you, right? Like it's so lovely when it can be that Mm -hmm. reflexive. Yes. Um, I think because, you know, if if there are things we don't know or we feel blocked by in the culture, right? Right. Uh, and we find out oh, a, a hack, you know, figure out a hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't, you know, if we just keep it to ourselves, nothing changes. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, this is why the fourth trimester podcast, I mean, it is, as you know, like mm-hmm. crazy how little even our own mothers yeah. know. about the postpartum (laughs) healing and recovery journey, Mm -hmm. wherever it begins from, there's just so little that is understood Mm -hmm. about this life-changing moment. And, um, And therefore, you know, you get those retorts from people which are, oh, you know, you'll get through it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that are wow. super dismissive and super minimizing oh. and, and, all, and invalidating all those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it happens and, a lot with, with perinatal loss. Obviously people say things that I, it, I think that they're trying to be helpful. I'm going to, you know, assume the best <laughs> about people most of the time. I think they're trying to be mm-hmm. helpful, but you know, oftentimes it just isn't what you're saying mm-hmm. is not helpful. And you need to understand that it's not helpful. You need to understand why it's not helpful. And I'm going to give you in some of my entries, I'm going to give you some alternatives, some things that you could say that would be helpful Mm -hmm. to folks. Well, why don't you take a moment and maybe tell us one or more Mm -hmm. things that the culture needs to learn in terms of interacting with parents experiencing loss and grief. Mm -hmm. Do you mind? No, absolutely not. Um, I appreciate it. Sure. No, one of the main things is that is this whole silence is this whole like thing where people don't talk about it and people don't acknowledge 
what happened. And though I understand that that death in particular is a challenging thing for a lot of people to discuss, and you're you're also not sure where a person is, like whether they want to talk about it or not. Um, but this the like ignoring that it happened mm-hmm. and acting as though it didn't and just trying to, I'm just trying to get you out of the house. So we're going to go do this and do that. Or why don't you come to this party? Because you need to do, it's like yeah. pause, pause. It's like, denial. Exactly. It's denial of your experience. Exactly. So yeah. what is helpful is for you to at minimum say, I'm so sorry for your loss. You don't have to ask a bunch of questions. You don't have to, you know, ask people to tell you about their birth story or or whatever happened, but at least acknowledge that this loss happened and tell people that you're sorry that it happened to them. And then you can ask like, you know, is there anything that, that you can think of that you need? Most of the time people are going to say, no, I can't think of anything because they're consumed a lot of the time with their, their grief response, but just the offering is helpful and then doing things that, that are really helpful. I always, uh, tell talk about my friend, um, my friend Elise, because she is just amazing. But after our, when, when the girls passed, I, I sent out a text, uh, to a few people. I didn't really want to talk to anybody, but I just wanted people to know people who knew I was pregnant. I want them to know what happened. Um, Mm -hmm. she came over to our house unprompted, with like 10 bags of food from Whole Foods. Like she just like went shopping and she was like, I don't want, she was like, I don't want you to have to think about cooking, have to think about figuring out what y'all are going to eat like here. Yeah. And she was like, I'm not staying. I'm not going to like, I know y'all probably need some time, but I'm just coming to drop off some stuff for you. That was so helpful. And this was prepared food, right? So that it didn't just go bad in the fridge because you didn't want to stand at the stove and couldn't. Exactly. It was food that you could just shove in your mouth. Just put it. Whether or not you you were hungry. Yep. Eat it. You can put it in the microwave. You can put it in the oven if you want to Mm -hmm. warm it up or whatever. But like it was just prepared food. And that was super duper helpful. So doing things like that, bring people food. Another, my job, my team at work at the time had also gotten us a, um, it's almost like a a meal delivery service, similar concept Mm -hmm. where there was like 10 meals that were prepared for, you know, so that we just didn't have to worry about cooking. So things like that are, are really, um, are really helpful. And also what I have discovered from talking to some of the women in, um, in the black angel moms group, and also just having some other conversations with people in some of the in-person groups that I, I attended early on in our loss. Um, people do want you to talk about their children. People do want you to ask, like, what were, did you name them or what was their name mm-hmm. or, you know, how are you honoring them? Or is there a way that I can support you in honoring them? Like, can mm-hmm. I plant something? Can I, one of my friends had uh, two trees planted in honor of Abiba and Jorah which is beautiful. Oh, that is so beautiful. Right. Like it was just so sweet. And this is a, one of my friends who's like a Heather, she's super bubbly and you know, she's always happy. I love her so much. So I don't know how, um, you know, how comfortable it is for her to be in a sad place, but just her thinking about me and thinking about the girls and thinking about a way to honor them that can go on. Like that mm-hmm. was just, that was amazing. Another yeah. friend of ours got, got us cremation jewelry. And um, so we have oh. their ashes. I have their ashes in some of their ashes in, in two necklaces and my spouse has their ashes in a bracelet. Um, mm. You know, so just like things like that, that are, are really thoughtful, ongoing ways to honor your little ones, ongoing ways to 
like support the parents. Um, acknowledge, acknowledge that you are parents. Right. You That's have the other thing. children. You know, people, yeah. People totally will not acknowledge that or not, not validate that people still consider themselves a mom or a parent. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we didn't, we adopted our, our son, um, probably within, within like actually soon after our girls, it's probably within like nine or 10 months after the girls passed away. Mm-hmm. But prior to adopting him, there definitely was a period where, you know, I felt like, like I was their mom, but I definitely didn't feel like the, of even Jorah's mom, but I definitely didn't feel accepted as a mom in community because my children weren't here. Yeah. So I think that it's important to acknowledge or and to also ask people, you know, what do what do they what do they want? Because there are also people who don't consider it themselves. So just respecting mm-hmm. where people are and really asking the questions rather than making assumptions and and figuring out where where the people might be, um, the angel parents might be in their healing journey. You know, for some people mm-hmm. saying things like, um, this was something that for me was not helpful at all, but I understand for some people may be helpful. I was told or sent a, a gif or something that said like, Oh, well, your baby is, your babies are sitting on Jesus's lap. And mm-hmm. I was just like, that's, that's not helpful for me, actually. Like I know that yeah. for some, for some people that might bring them solace or like he needed your babies to pick flowers in his garden or what. Like there's a lot of like religious rhetoric sometimes that comes across yeah. in this. And, and though I want to respect and understand that there are some people that that is really helpful for, there are also a lot of people religiously affiliated and not that that is not helpful for. And I think yeah. that you have to really ask people what, what do they need and also listen. Like you have two ears and one mouth, listen more than you speak. You know what I mean? (laughs) So listen to what people are telling you and what it is that they, that they need. And sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just need to be in the space with them and hug Mm -hmm. them and love them and and bring them food. Always bring food. (laughs) Well, and, and Janae, I'm wondering if you think this is valid. What occurs to me with that kind of response, you know, is and and what's and what is inappropriate about it is that it sends an actual image right mm-hmm. and that may be an image that while very comforting to you personally may not be for the bereaved parents right like i don't want to have a picture right. in my head Mm-hmm. <laughs> of my babies sitting on Jesus' lap. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. right? Right. It, it takes up a space mm-hmm. that I don't want it to take up, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. does that resonate with you? Like Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think um, that's accurate, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it, when people are thinking to themselves, well, what's wrong with it? You know, well, right. I, to me, that's what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're pawning off an image on, on me that just isn't doesn't work. Right. And you're yeah. making assumptions about what is what would be comforting to mm-hmm. me. And, and people may be uh, and this is specifically, you know, the black community has a um sometimes has a strong tie to religion. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, people are often 
really reconciling their faith when they had this kind of loss. They're trying to mm. figure out where do they stand with it? Often people are questioning because then it, there really is this, this sense of like, why did this happen to me? Like, yeah. why would this horrible thing have to happen? So if I'm already, if I'm a, a person who practice, who's practicing and, and devoutly, you know, embedded in the in Christianity, let's say, or whatever, like I may be really angry at God or whatever deity, like I may be having a lot of feelings about that. And for you mm-hmm. to then impose on me that this is now the person or the the entity or the deity or whatever that has my children and I'm mm-hmm. angry, that creates a lot of like, people are dealing with a lot of angst around it. And that's not necessarily a helpful thing for you to say in that moment. So Mm -hmm. again, it's really like about you not, and this is why I said also, like, it's not, I don't think that people are intending to be unhelpful. However, they're coming from their personal place. Exactly. But Mm -hmm. they're centering themselves and they're not centering you. And that's not helpful. So mm-hmm. you have to figure out how to decenter. If you're a support person, you have to figure out how to decenter yourself and center the person who's had the experience Absolutely. and try and show yeah. up for them in that way. Such a excellent point. Yeah. Can I circle around to the friend who brought you food? Yes. <laughs> and say out loud something I say on this podcast a lot um, and have you, of course, respond to it. And that is that while so often the culture and naturally the people who show up in our space when we've given birth, however we have and whatever the outcome, you know, the focus in this culture is on the babies, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, However, that focus is made. And yet your friend had the intelligence, I'll just say, the understanding that you and your partner are postpartum. Mm -hmm. You have given birth and now you have a healing and recovery journey ahead of you and you you have to survive physically mm-hmm. whether you want to or not right right, right. that's real yep <laughs> um you know and um some of us have powerful moments with babies who are alive of not wanting to to survive mm-hmm. you know yep. i mean you know, I mean, postpartum for the parents, and I will say particularly the mother, because that's my personal experience right. is that I gave birth and my body and therefore my brain mm-hmm. were go- was going through so many profound changes um, that having a friend, a, pa- a family member who says, you know, your babies are great. You know, I'm sad they're not with you. Uh, whatever they say, you know, mm-hmm. whatever's appropriate. Right. But I'm here for you. Right. Yep. Because I want you in my life. I want you to survive. I want you to be comforted and supported. Yeah. 
and you need to eat and sleep and use the bathroom and I'm going to do your laundry today so that you can do those things. And if you want to talk, we talk. And if you don't want to talk, we don't. Correct. Yep. You know? Yeah, Um, those are... Those are invaluable friends and ideas and people often do forget about, like you said, the people who are postpartum and that they also need support and, and energy and love poured into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not too much, right? right? Like it, it needs to be uh, appropriate, right? Right. Uh, and that's a hard thing to understand. I don't think we do enough to help people understand what the postpartum trajectory is for mm-hmm. the parents. But yeah, if whatever you can do to have some understanding of it before you walk in on it. Right. <laughs> with, all, with all your great ideas. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I think it's, it's important. And that's not a reason not to walk in. It's a reason to uh, learn, you know, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Janae, why don't you talk a little bit more about your, um, you know, in addition to your, your blog and your online support group, which are just brilliant. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, your practice? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm in private practice in Philadelphia area, and um, I service, uh, like I said, a few different types of uh, clients. But my practice is geared towards um, towards people of color in general. But um, I focus, so I have a perinatal health, perinatal mental health component. Uh, so if you are trying to conceive, if you are actively pregnant, if you have, if you're postpartum or if you have experienced perinatal loss, that's stuff that I um, have some training in and kind of have a specialty towards. Um, and specifically for, like I said, for black and brown folk and also for people of the LGBTQ community. So um, I just wanted, there's a there's a gap, you know, there's a, there's a gap sometimes in resources for people in marginalized communities. And I really wanted to make sure that I have a space available for people to come mm-hmm. who are dealing with any of those various uh, intersections. I also am a clinical sexologist, of course. So I do some sex therapy and sexuality education for couples or partners, because so, it might be more than two people. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I also do individual and family work and couples work just for general related general stuff, things, lots of people are dealing with anxiety in, in general in the world, or at least that's how they're, they're terming it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that comes up a lot. And I'm really, my practice is really geared towards helping people figure out how to live in alignment with what they're saying that they want in their lives, whether that's romantically or individually or professionally or um, in terms of their sexuality uh, as a whole, not just like sexual orientation or sexual practices, but just like mm-hmm. everything related to your your sexual identity or sexual being. Kind of all of those things happen <laughs> in my practice. So I've got couples I see, I have individuals I see, I have some families that I see for any of those various reasons. 
Wow. Yeah. That's phenomenal. That's that, that just strikes me as holding a lot. <laughs> yeah, it kind yeah. of is. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's just fantastic. Well, anything else you'd like our audience to hear from you? This has been just awesome, really. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for for having me on. I think no, I think we kind of covered a lot. Um, I definitely <laughs> did. would encourage people if they're, you know, if they feel up to it. The blog is is called blackangelmom.com. It's not exclusively for black and brown people. It's really just, it centers black and brown people. So in a way that we are not often centered in other areas of <laughs> of the media. So, you know, that's kind of the, the angle, but the, the information is valuable for anyone really who's experienced per- perinatal loss. So um, I highly encourage folks to, to check it out, even if it's just that you check out the seven gems section that is, you know, if you're looking for some things that you can share with your support network, like that's, mm-hmm. um, that's a great, a great resource for folks. Um, and then if you happen to identify as black or of African descent, and uh, you are looking for a community of people, then feel free to request to join the, uh, the Facebook community um, because it's available for anyone who identifies that way. Um, and there'll be some other things coming down the pike that I'm working on uh, creatively, product wise, things like that, that will help folks also or you know, just be available for folks if they want that. But for now, um, yeah, the, the blog is, is accessible. And so is the Facebook group. If anyone has any questions and if you happen to be a person seeking other kinds of support, like as in therapeutic support, my actual therapy page is linked to the blog as well. So, um, you know, you can visit that also if you're, if you're interested in seeking that kind of support. That is fantastic. Janae, I am just so pleased um, (laughs) that you were willing to come on the fourth trimester podcast. I feel like you really got to the heart of so much of what needs to be said into the world right now (laughs) about everything, really. Uh, I mean, you know, we have this as a specific topic, but I think it really, there's, there's kind of, I, I have this sort of image of a radiant quality, you know, something mm. that kind of has a, a, a powerful center, but that can radiate out in powerful ways into realms beyond being parents, you know, just yeah. being part of a community yes. at large yes. and a culture that needs to change. Yes. Um, so thank you again so much. And thank um, you. yeah, yeah. And um, listeners, we're going to say goodbye. Uh, again, I want you to invite, I, I want you to feel invited to check out our various platforms, Facebook. Uh, I think we do the whole buffer thing with Instagram and all all that. I'm a little bit of a Luddite when it comes to all that, but um, (laughs) I do my best as a 60 year old to contribute. It's a lot. I understand. (laughs) I'm struggling with it too. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we probably, you know, need your son to get busy. And, you know, it's like, I'm I'm always amazed that my 10 year old grandson can show me 
how yeah. to do things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, thank you for listening. Uh, please support us any way you can. And we look forward to um, hearing from you on those platforms. And everyone, hope you have a great day and take care. And thanks again, Janae. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now.